let's get into the message this morning. We are going through a series called The Calm. The Calm. And I don't know about you, but calm is some of the last things or some of the last things I've, I see in society and culture. Certainly, if you watch the news, there's not a whole lot of calm on the news. And if you're watching news and you're finding calm, tell me which channel you're watching because I want to watch that one some. It just seems like there's so much chaos happening around us and has been a while. And, and, and listen, this isn't a, this isn't a political comment, uh, but through the Trump era and, and ongoing, it just seemed like politically our, our nation has come to a place of just being anta- antagonistic towards each other, depending on what party you're in or what you think. Or we've just come to a place where it's crazy that people can't think differently without also loving each other and working with each other. And, and so it just seems like with that and everything that happened in society and with riots and protests and, 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 and the political climate isn't any better now, our economy is in shame. There's just so much happening, not just here. There's stuff happening all around the world, I think, like never before. Just so much chaos. But the thing that we have to understand is that there's calm within that if we're looking to God for it. Worry and anxiety can rob you of the life that God has for you and keep you focused on the problem instead of the one who can solve the problem. Does that make sense? Like when we're focused on the problem, it seems like that's all we see, but we've got to begin to focus on the one who has the solution for the problem, and that's God. But that's not typically in our humanity. That's not typically how we operate or how we live. We're typically drawn, our attention is drawn to the problem. And listen, anything that we're giving attention to and focus to has a very powerful influence on our lives. And if, if, you're t- if you tend to, to focus time on a problem, then what you begin to see is another problem and another problem and another problem, and then all you do is focus on problems. Now, I begin to think about this. How many of you have ever went out to purchase a car, and you, you were trying to find a very specific car, but then you are also trying to find a very specific color, and in your mind, you're thinking, I'm going to buy, I'll just throw out this example, an orange Kia Soul, because I don't ever see any orange Kia Souls anywhere. So I'm going to go find an orange Kia Soul. So you go, you buy the Kia Soul, there's an orange Kia Soul. And as soon as you pull out on the street and stop at the first light, what pulls next to you? An orange Kia Soul. What happens after that? Because before that, you never saw. Remember, you were thinking that. I never see any orange Kia Souls. After that, what do you see? Orange Kia souls everywhere. Why? Because your attention, your focus is now on that, and you begin to listen. The same thing that can happen with problems. If we give attention and focus to a problem for too long or too much attention, the next thing that happens in our life is all we begin to see is problem after problem after problem. Let's just all be real with each other. Raise your hand if you have any problems in your life. And I'm not talking about your spouse or your kids. Yeah, we all have problems. We, we all wake up and throughout the day we encounter probably multiple problems. But here's the thing, when we just focus on them, that, that becomes all that we see when we have the one who has the solution. We need to begin to focus on him. Worry is like a rocking chair. This is a, a quote from Irma Bombeck. Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do but never gets you anywhere. Unless you rock it like me because my, my chair moves. Anybody else? You're like, I can rock it all the way down this hallway. Or this. The best rocking chairs in the world are found where? Cracker Barrel. We all know that, except for they chain them up. You can't go anywhere with them. <laughs> it's like a rocking chair. 
gives you something to do, but never gets you anywhere. If we're focusing on worry and anxiety, it's not going to get us anywhere. To overcome or move past worry, you must focus on the solution. And here's a hint. God is always the solution. Always. Not sometimes, not maybe. God is always the solution. Even when circumstances don't disappear, your worry can when you give it to God. We sang some songs about that this morning. And we've got to be better as Christ followers, as people striving to live and to worship God. We've got to be better just giving those things over to him. Again, circumstances may not change. But how we respond, how we, how we walk through will change because our focus is different. We've read this verse a few times, but let's read it again. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, how many of y'all need more of that, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in this series, Calm in the Chaos, the Calm, we've been talking about a few things. The first Sunday we talked about celebrating God's goodness. We see that in verse 4. Then last week we talked about asking God for help, which I don't think we do often enough. Let your request be made known to God. We see that in verse 6. And now we're going we're gonna to talk about this, leaving our concerns. We focused some attention on it already, but leaving our concerns with him with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. And I think, I think that's key. With thanksgiving. There's been some times in my life where as soon as I just made a choice, I'll be honest with you, there's, there's been some times in my life, some hard circumstances that I have found myself in that I, my flesh certainly, but even my soul and my spirit struggled to worship God. And I just had to make a choice, not based on what I was feeling, not based on what I was struggling with, but just simply based on who God is. He is a God who's worthy of my worship, and so I just had to make a choice to do that. And one of the ways that we can do that is begin to thank him, begin to praise him, even in the midst of things where you could probably write a list of 20 things that are going wrong. Instead of doing that, write down all the things, all the reasons you have to give him thanks. So we're going to talk about that more this morning. You cannot always control what goes on outside, but you can always control what goes on inside. Listen, life is all about choices. When worry and anxiety come your way, you get to choose how you will respond. We talked some about that last week. Your choice will either feed the anxiety or dispel the anxiety. And we've got to make that choice. Make that choice. So here's some things we can choose. The first thing is this. Choose to focus on God and not the problem. Choose to focus on God, not the problem. Look at this story. We're all pretty familiar with the story of David, but let's look at a few verses in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 through 47. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. We sang about it this morning. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you all, he will give all of you into 
your hand, our hands. So here's the thing. David comes in, and we know that there's tens of thousands of soldiers, Israelite soldiers, men, that have gathered with all their, all their weapons, all their armor, and we have this boy David who comes in. We know that he's the one that ends up fighting the, the Philistine, the giants. Why was he able to do it and nobody else? Because he was focused on how big his God was and not how big the giant was, Right? Every other Israelite, there was probably stories of, of Goliath and his brothers. We know that he had brothers. There's probably stories and fables that they heard about, and those things were causing fear in their life. And then you see this nine-foot-something, another man with all his armor and all his weaponry standing in front of you, and tens of thousands of soldiers chose not to because that's what they were focused on. They were focused on the giant, and David was able to focus on God. And that changed everything. David knew that the battle wasn't his to fight that it was God's. Whatever you focus on, you magnify. You can magnify the problem or you can magnify God, but you can't do both. The Israelites chose to magnify the giants. David chose to magnify God, who, by the way, is bigger and much stronger than any giant we would face. But you can't magnify both. You can't give attention to the problem and give attention to God. You can't focus on the problem and focus on God. We have to make a choice to focus on God because the focus that we have, the attention that we give, the way that we're looking influences the direction of our lives. Many years ago, my uh, sister, when she learned to drive, my sister is three years older than me, and I have a brother who is three years younger than me. But I remember when my sister, she was approaching the age, in, in Florida at 15, you would get your learner's permit, that's what we called it, and then at 16, on your 16th birthday, which my mom signed me up to get on my 16th birthday, you could get your normal driver's license, your driving permit, and, and drive alone without any adults in the car, and there was really no restrictions back then about who else was in the car, but my sister learned to drive, and I can remember the first few weeks of her driving without my mom in the car. My mom was anxious for us to drive because she didn't want to drive. <laughs> that was, so on my 16th birthday, I went down to the DMV, and I took the driving test so I could drive because my mom said, I'm not driving you and your brother to school anymore. Uh, so my sister, she's learning to drive, and, and I remember the first two weeks, I was terrified to drive with her. Not because she wasn't attentive and she wasn't a good driver, but she had, she had this one problem that just, it, I was scared. So we would, we would go after school, we'd go to the student parking lot, she had a little red Ford Escort we would get into and we would drive out of the parking lot and, and down the road towards home and we would pass another student parking lot and then some you know, kids walking home from school. And, and if she saw one of her friends, she would be driving and she would turn to look, you know, either way, she would turn to look and wave at her friends. You know, you gotta have the windows down and the radio on, that's just what you do when you're in high school. So she would turn and wave, and she'd be hollering. The problem was, wherever her face looked, the car went. So it just terrified me, because if, if we were driving this way and she's looking this way, she would veer like into the other lane. And if, there were several times where somebody's on the side of the road, and I'm like, do not look, because you might run them over. Keep your eyes straight, right? But there's something about this. Whatever her attention went to, like that was the direction the car went. In our own lives, wherever our attention and focus is, I'm telling you, your life will begin to navigate towards that. So if we're focusing on problems, our life just navigates towards problems. How many of you would say that you're mostly a positive person? How many of you would say it's just hard being around somebody who's always negative? Right? 
And whatever we give our attention and our focus to that affects our life in, in, in such a degree that we have to choose to focus on God. Here's the next choice we can make. We can choose to live with an attitude of gratitude. We see that in Philippians 4, 6. That's what we're talking about, Thanksgiving. But look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 8. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We see in that verse in Thessalonians that God's will is for us to give thanks, to give praise to him in all circumstances. In good circumstances, in great circumstances, in bad circumstances, in horrible circumstances, to give God thanks. And I know that's difficult, but we have to choose to live a life of gratitude. Living a life of gratitude helps us keep a proper uh, perspective of all that we have been blessed with, even as we navigate the challenges of life that can generate anxiety. Listen, one of the many reasons I feel like everyone uh, should seize an opportunity to go, on to, uh, go to a mission trip, especially when you're going to like a third world country or a, a country that's impoverished, is because when you go to those places, you realize just how much you have, even if you feel like, and maybe in reality, you have very little. I mean, I, I grew up, uh, in, in certainly was not a wealthy neighborhood. It was kind of a rundown neighborhood. My parents certainly were not rich. I mean, I remember uh, at 10 years old, 11 years old, wanting to start to mow lawns because I wanted to buy a name brand pair of shoes. And my parents, you guys that are my age, you'll remember shopping at Payless. Uh, that was just a place you went when you had to find, or Kmart back then, trying to find cheap shoes. And, and Payless had this name brand called Pro Wings. Does anybody remember the Pro Wings? Pro Wings looked exactly like the Reeboks, except for they only lasted two weeks, and Reeboks <laughs> might last a little bit longer. But, but I can remember wanting to mow lawns just so I could afford myself to buy a name brand pair of shoes because my parents couldn't. So in seventh grade, I, I, I remember buying my first like, main name brand was Pumas, and they were black and red suede, and they were sweet. But even though I remember my, my parents, you know, struggling financially and sometimes my parents or my grandparents who live next door buying us groceries or giving us groceries, I've gone to some of these countries and I'm like, man, it, as rough as I think I might have had it, when I go to these countries and see what they're dealing with, it's nowhere close. Because when we go there, we begin to realize how much we have to be thankful for. When I was in Haiti, we went there and we went into a school and we were building it. The, the building housed the church as well. And so the pastor was also the principal. And so we went in to build these desks, or they were benches, that the back would fold up and it would become a desk. Uh, and we built several of them in, in this building. And while we were there, it took us a few days, but while we were there, we decided that we were going to try to find ice cream. Uh, we were just outside of the, the capital, uh, Port-au-Prince, and it was a, a very, very impoverished area, but we wanted to try to find ice cream for the kids. And so we, it took us a while, but we found a, you know, a grocery store that we could go in and we bought enough ice cream, the little paper cups that you, know, you peel back, the, you guys know what I'm talking about, uh, you peel back the lid and, and they gave you the little wood spoons with them. But we went, we went and bought enough for every kid and we brought them back to where we were working and we, we gave the kids and the kids were just going crazy over the ice cream. And I thought, I still go crazy over ice cream. So that wasn't, that wasn't abnormal to me. But some of the teachers began to sob and as they were sobbing, I just asked like what was going on and they let me know that some of the kids that were there had never had ice cream before. Never had. Can you imagine living in a place or in a way, circumstances that you had never even tasted ice cream? We were also in uh, Colombia. We went to Colombia and we were ministering 
to some families that lived right on the edge of a dump. And so their houses were really built on anything that they could find. So it was aluminum and wood and cardboard in some cases and tarps and, I mean, extremely impoverished. And this ravine where everybody would just dump their trash. There were houses built all along there. And we were going from house to house or hut to hut, shack to shack, you know, just praying with people and ministering to people. And I stepped inside this, this one, this mom, this, this woman was there and she was very eager to invite us into her home. And when I stepped in the first little room that we came into, it was just nothing but beds. I mean, you could, you could barely walk through the room because there were beds everywhere. And so we were asking, we had a, a, an interpreter with us asking, um, you know, how many kids she had. And she only had two kids, but she was, she was bringing in any kid that she found living alone. She would just bring them in and she was struggling to feed them. And so we were asking about her food situation. And she, her, that room kind of just went right into the kitchen. You would never know that it was a kitchen, but you know, there were some scraps of food. I mean, food laying there with bugs all over them that they were going to eat, you know, later on. And, and my heart was just, my heart was just breaking. And uh, cool, cool part about the story, one, it gives us this whole thing of like, man, I'm so thankful for what I have. But a cool part about this story is we were in that, uh, ministering to that woman, and I asked one of our leaders if I could give them the money that I had in my pocket. You know, typically you're not carrying a whole lot of money, but I, I knew that whatever I had in my pocket would probably get them a week or two of groceries. So I asked if I could give them whatever was in my pocket, and the leader said, no, we, we, you know, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't give money, but we can leave here, and we can go buy a bunch of groceries and, and bring them back. And I was like, well, let's do that. I mean, let's make sure we come back with something. Listen how awesome God is. We, uh, we finished there. We went to a few other houses, and as we made our way back to where we were parked, which was several blocks away, and as we were about to get into the vehicle, one of the teenagers, a little uh, a boy that was in that shack where the mom was and all the kids, he came running down the road and he was hollering at us to get our attention because I didn't know some of the things he was saying because I don't speak his language, but he went up to our, uh, our interpreter who was there with us and he proceeded to tell the interpreter that when we left, his mom found a wad of money on the bed. And so the leader looks at me and is like, I asked you not to do that. And I'm like, I didn't. I didn't. All the money I had, I still have in my pocket. I gave them nothing. So then the leader was asking, there was only six or seven of us, asked everybody who left the money. Nobody left the money. Nobody left the money, yet this family found this wad of money. And what the interpreter said was that was probably three months worth of groceries that this, this mom could buy with. Isn't God good? Just, so, just dropped money. That's literally what happened. Nobody else was in that home. God dropped money. Uh, on her bed so that she could feed her kids. And, and so I, when, I, when I go into stuff like that, we were in the jungles of Peru, and the thing that I saw was each morning they would wake up and they would get enough food for maybe the next meal, perhaps the day, but every morning going out and fishing and hunting and do whatever they could, you know, harvesting some fruits and vegetables, whatever they could for the next meal, perhaps the day. When, when we here in America, I mean, I've got two, now I've got a lot of kids, I'm probably more kids than you, but I have, I have two refrigerators and they're not big enough. I have a refrigerator inside and I have a refrigerator outside. There's a freezer in that refrigerator and in the other refrigerator and I have a chest freezer. And, and I'm going there and seeing that, man, they have nothing. They're, they're hoping to find enough food to feed their family for the next meal. We have so much here. I think a lot would change in our life if we would just have this heart of gratitude, often giving thanks to God. Here's the third thing. Choose the pathway of contentment. And when I say that, it sounds, well, yeah, most of you would probably say, well, I'm pretty content. But then if we dug a little bit deep, deeper below the surface, we might find that many of us aren't content 
or there's at least areas of our life that we're not content with, but we've got to choose the pathway of contentment. Philippians 4, verses 11 and 12 says this, and this is Paul speaking, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every in any and every situation, whether well, fed, or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. By the way, this is the, one of the verses right after this is what everybody quotes because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was talking about being content. That's what, that, was Paul, that was Paul talking in that verse. I can, I can learn to do all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's in this conversation of being content. And certainly as you see Paul's life there was times where as, as I look at his life and he's in prison and he's just singing praises and worship to God and he's sending letters out making sure people know about Jesus. When I see the times where he's not fed, that he is going hungry, yet here he says in any and all circumstances, listen, we've got to choose the pathway of contentment. Focus more on what you do have than what you don't. Discontentment opens the door for anxiety. When we're constantly seeing what we don't have and we just get stressed out and anxious. Listen, I, I believe that the key to being content is simply knowing God. Not knowing of God, not knowing mostly of God, but knowing God. The more I know God, the more I realize he is all that I need. The more I know God, as I, my life is being transformed, I begin to realize he's really all that I want. I don't want anything outside of God. So if you're struggling with contentment, I would just say begin to lean in and get to know God more. Because as you get to know God, you'll experience contentment in your life. And I think, like Paul, no matter what the circumstances. Here's the last thing that we can choose. Choose to live a life of worship. Choose to live a life of worship. Listen, I, I realize that many times as we speak about worship, we think about songs and singing songs and raising our hands and, and clapping our hands and those sort of things. But worship is really anything that pleases God. I love music and I love worshiping God with song, but worship really is anything that pleases God. And I would say that we've got to make a conscious effort when things get tough in those circumstances, begin to do something that pleases God. Don't wallow in the circumstance or the hardship or the pain. Don't focus on it. Choose to worship God. Choose to serve someone else. Choose to show love to someone else. Choose to encourage somebody else, even though you yourself might be feeling some discouragement. We've got to choose to live a life of worship. In 2 Chronicles 20, a vast army was mounting against King Jehoshaphat and the, the Israelites. And we see King Jehoshaphat do this. He chose first to go to God. He begins to pray. He begins to worship. And then he invites all the Israelites into that prayer and into that worship. And they even begin to fast. The key of this is Jehoshaphat chose to go to God first. Because in my mind, I'm thinking if I was a king and I had all these generals, Israelite generals, at my disposal and an army's coming against me, the first people I'm calling on is the generals. I'm going to call them all together and we're going to start to strategize. We're going to come up with a plan not to just hold them off but to defeat them. But Jehoshaphat goes to God first and he begins to pray and he begins to worship and he begins to fast. Listen, that has to be our choice, that we choose to worship God first and maybe as soon as, could we begin to tweak some things in our brain that as soon as things start to get rough, that I go to God first and just worship in praise and thanksgiving. 
So what does worship of God do? Here's, here's, some, here's a few things as we begin to close. The first thing is, as we worship God, it'll open the way for God to work. It'll open the way for God to work. I hope that everyone that's in this room, each time you gather together here or, or perhaps uh, with another church family, that as you worship God together with those around you, that something's happening on the inside. That at least you would say, man, I feel better. This morning, I don't know, but I feel better. Why? Because worship opens a way for God to work, not just singing songs. How many of you have, how many of you have ever just began to serve somebody in, in the midst of that serving? Man, it's just like, oh, God just begins to work and speak and do all these crazy, awesome things. Why? That's worship. Worship opens the way for God to work. How about this? Worship energizes your soul. I hope that also happens as we worship together. That no matter how you felt when you came in here, some of you would probably say, man, I didn't really feel like coming this morning, but I did anyways. And then you come here and you start to see everybody and then you sing together and all of a sudden something happens inside. And, and I hope more so than what we hear or see, like inside many times in worship, we're just going, "Woo!" Does anybody ever feel that but not do it? Maybe we should just start doing it. Right, it energizes your soul. Something happens within us when we worship God. The third thing that it does is it brings God's peace in the storm you're facing. So no matter what you're facing, all of a sudden, you just begin to feel peace. And I love how the Bible says peace that passes or transcends a peace that I understand in my own mind, in my own human way of thinking. Let's close our eyes. When we put our problems in God's hands, he puts his peace in our hearts. We sing about it, and I want to give one last opportunity for us to do that. And we just kind of put everything there. Listen, I've discovered in my own life, I feel like I live a life that's, that's pretty close to Jesus, that my relationship is pretty close to him. But this is what I've realized. Even, even when that's happening, or even though the desire is, is great within me for that to happen, I still have found that I've got to surrender to him every day and, and sometimes multiple times a day. But we just place our lives in his hand. So even with the points, maybe one of these points here as we were going through them, you begin to think, man, I, I, I fail. I don't, I don't really, I don't do this well and sometimes I fail miserably with it. But do you fail in choosing to focus on God and not the problem? Or do you find yourself as problems arise you're just focused on that. Hardship arise, conflict arises, tension between you and a coworker or a family member, and all of a sudden your mind just focuses, attaches to that. That can change this morning. Man, we just, just hand that over to God. Say, God, I struggle with this. How about the second point, choosing to live with gratitude? Not, not when things are great and easy and fun, but do you live a life of gratitude? Is, is your heart full of gratitude even when things are difficult? Third thing is choosing a pathway of contentment. And if you struggle with that, man, admit that to God. Be, be open with him. God, I struggle being content. I struggle being content. And I, I would say I, I struggle with that a bit. I get a car, and as soon as I get a car, I want a different car, and I get a motorcycle, and I want a different motorcycle. And, and if you struggle with that, just, God, I struggle. Sometimes I fail. 
but I don't want to. And then last one, choosing to live a life of worship. Wouldn't it be awesome if our daily prayer life just only consistent of, be consistent of worship with God? That, that we would go to him without having to t- toss out all the, the needs and the wants and that all we did, that we were so consistent in our prayer life that it just, the whole time was spent just worshiping him, just thanking him, just giving him praise. God, I pray for all of us in this room, including myself, because this is the thing, that we've got, to, we've got to be different as Christ followers. We've got to be different because you at work in us is what the world needs. But if we could begin to live in just these ways that we would choose to focus on you, not the problem, we would choose to be grateful, we would choose to be content, we would choose a life of worship, the guarantee is that our lives would change and people would notice God, I pray that within our workplaces and our schools and our community centers and the the group of people that we, we would gather with, if we're not known for these things, now that we would, starting today and tomorrow, that we would be known for the person who's just always grateful and always positive and always giving thanks, that we would be known for that, God. That we would be known for the person who just is always living with this hope inside no matter what's happening around. God, let us be known for that. God, let us be known for the one who's just content. Let us be known for people that worship you, serve you, live for you, and also speak of you. Let us be known for those things, God. Whatever needs to happen within us, whatever transformation needs to happen within us, start right now, Jesus. Start right now, Holy Spirit, and do a work within us. Let us be known for people that love and worship you.